welcome to the porch on Firefall Talk Radio. I'm Richard Grund. This is where we get back to basics, the red letter basics, the only thing that matters by examining the Word of God, especially the book of Acts Church, seeing how the early church served the Lord. The Porch Online Bible Study takes a deeper look into their service to the kingdom of God to follow their example. See, our desire is to find and restore the priesthood of the believer and regain the world-shaking influence, the world-changing influence that the early church had. We dig deeper into Scripture, and in doing so, we find the church the Lord intended and not the one man created. Church age is not over, no matter what anyone tells you. What happened in the upper room is as much for today as it was on the day of Pentecost. If you know that there's more to your spiritual walk with Yeshua, with Jesus of Nazareth, and you want more, then you're welcome to join us on this spiritual journey as we get back to basics. If you have any questions, we'd like to answer them. Go to Firefall Talk Radio. Dot com Use the contact button or write the porch, lowercase one word, at firefalltalkradio.com. Any needs, any desires, any questions, just reach out to us. If you'd like to support us, and we hope that you will, go to the main page on firefalltalkradio.com. There are ways to do so. If you have any questions about that, just reach out to us and we will answer them. For those of you that do support us, we appreciate you your support, your encouragement, your prayers. Welcome to all of our listeners from the various streaming platforms. Make sure you are subscribed to us from wherever you listen, as well as social media, Facebook, Instagram, and, well, it was Twitter, now it's X. I don't know. that. What I have no idea what's going on there. Um, Hurricane Adalia came through. Passed us by. Thankfully, we got some wind, we got some rain, and that was about it. So for once, uh, Orlando got spared. It's been a while since we got bypassed, but for there are many others that did not, and they are suffering catastrophic damage, and it's in South Carolina as I speak and doing more damage. So please remember them in your prayers, and again, thank you to each and every one of you that reached out and um, prayed for us. Speaking of prayer, Father, we come to you now in the name of Yeshua, the name above all names, King of kings, Lord of lords, Savior, Master, Teacher. He's everything to us, Father. We know what he is to you. He's your only begotten Son and how much you love him and you love us because of him, because his blood has washed us clean and that was what you wanted him to do because you desired reconciliation, right relationship with your children. How awesome you are, Abba. Thank you for that. Thank you, Lord, for what you did, for what you're doing, and what we believe you're going to do. Thank you for healing us and delivering us and changing us. Thank you for teaching us, sending your Holy Spirit so that we could learn and understand and walk with you connected to the throne room itself. And I pray right now that all of my brothers and sisters would feel your presence, that they would know that you're there with them, that they could feel your overshadowing of them, that your glory would be upon them, that you would touch them in heart, mind, body, soul, and spirit. So, Lord, we just we just thank you. We ask that you 
reveal yourself to us this night. Do whatever you want to do. Change whatever you want to change. Yes, Lord, I have all these notes, and I'm pretty sure I created them with you. But if you want to do anything, it's your time. It's your Bible study. It's all about you. So we pray protection over the technology, over us, our homes, families, furry kids, and everything we have. And we stand in awe and expectancy of what you're about to do. In Yeshua's name, amen. Lessons are proprietary information, except where noted the information comes from outside sources. The combination of that information, the matter presented, is exclusive, cannot be repeated or used without permission. The date of this broadcast serves as the registered date of the following information. So we're talking about, or at least I am, you're listening, and any questions, like I said, any, any input, anything you need, just reach out. We're talking about the remnant mindset. And remnant, it's a very popular misunderstood term. Everybody thinks they're a part of the remnant, and they're not. I don't mean to be exclusive or um, claim any exclusivity, but there's very specific meanings to the word remnant. Holman Bible Dictionary says the remnant is something left over, especially the righteous people of God after divine judgment. There are several Hebrew words that indicate the remnant idea, uh, that which is left over, that which remains, residue, one who escapes, survivor, one loosed from bonds. Well, the New Testament has one meaning in all three different Greek words, which I'm not going to dare to try to pronounce at the moment, simply means left over. What is left over, the residue, or in the case of people, are those who remain after an epidemic, a famine, a drought, or a war. And in our case, it's after a war, a war against religion, war against form and formality. It's a portion of people left over after a disaster, especially one identified with divine judgment. Those who've been faithful to God despite suffering and who ultimately experience restoration. Some examples, Noah and his family, Lot after Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed, Jacob's family in Egypt, uh, the 7,000 followers that the Lord told Elijah about in 1 Kings 19, 17, and 18. Elijah's complaining, he's the only one left, there's no one else there, and the Lord says, I've reserved 7,000. He's hidden them for a specific time. That's what this remnant is about. I believe this end-time remnant has been hidden for this time. It was survivors because the Lord chose to show them mercy because they had believed in him and had been righteous in their lives, righteous, right standing before God, being upright. And in Israel, Anyone who had not bowed to Baal or done things that were against God 
the prophet Amos discovered that many believed, and many in Israel believed, that God would protect them all no matter what. Many people believe that today. That's not biblical. He told Amos that divine judgment would be poured out on all Israel and that at an appointed time, he would bring a remnant of his people to rebuild the nation. Amos 4, 5 says, seek him and live. Listen to what that says, whether it's Amos, Hosea, Ezra, Micah, Isaiah, Zephaniah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, they all pointed towards a small group of people who would repent, humble themselves, and find refuge after their affliction and captivity. Folks, we are not going to escape the trials and tribulations. We won't be here through the great tribulation, the time of Jacob's trouble, because that is not for us. That is not for the church. But we as a body right now, we're in the midst of it, and it's going to get worse. And there's going to be no skating through. He will protect us. He will keep us, but we will experience it. Jeremiah announced that Judah would be destroyed for rebelling against the Lord of the covenant. The political, religious, and social institutions of the state would be eliminated. Many would lose their lives. Others would be taken into exile for 70 years, and they were. But in the exile, those who believed in the one true God would be gathered for a return to the promised land from which God would create a new community. But here's the danger that in the midst of all of this, in the midst of the teachings, in the midst of the corrections, the danger is always in the human nature to rebel. Ezra 9, verses 13 through 15. After all that has come upon us, this is Ezra speaking out to the Lord, as after all that has come upon us for our evil deeds and for our great guilt, since you, our God, have punished us less than our iniquities deserve and have given us such deliverance as this, should we again break your commandments and join in marriage with the people committing these abominations? Would you not be angry with us until you had consumed us so that there would be no remnant or survivor? O Lord God of Israel, you are righteous, for we are left as a remnant as it is this day. Here we are before you in our guilt, though no one can stand before you because of this. See, Micah, he saw forgiveness. Micah 7.18, who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. Yes, our Abba Father even now delights in mercy, but even the New Testament tells us that judgment begins at the house of the Lord. And we have not seen that judgment yet. We've gotten glimpses of it. We've gotten times that he has threatened us with it. But I really don't believe the church has taken it seriously. And out of this remnant, through this remnant, 
comes the concept that the non-Jews, the Gentiles, are a part of God's people. That through Messiah, HaMashiach, through Messiah, we are the remnant of men and women seeking the Lord. Is that you? Is that you? Are you a part of that remnant seeking the Lord? Even now, even in the midst of everything she had done, he was preserving Israel, chosen by grace to be delivered. And there was a reason for that. Messiah must come from within that remnant. The Apostle Paul quoted from Hosea and from Isaiah to demonstrate that the saving of a remnant from among the Jewish people was still a part of the Lord's method of redeeming his people. Nothing has changed. Hosea 2.23 Then I will sow for her myself in the earth, and I will have mercy on her who had not obtained mercy. And then I will say to those who were not my people, You are my people. And they shall say, You are my God. There is always a future for anyone among his covenant people, Israel, who would truly turn to the Lord for salvation. Until then, he's going to use a people who are not his people, the Gentiles, to bring the Jews to jealousy and to repentance, inspiring a return to him. Romans 9, starting verse 22. What if God, wanting to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long-suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had prepared for beforehand for glory. Even us whom he called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. As he says in Hosea, I will call them my people who were not my people, and her beloved who was not beloved. And I shall... Come to pass in the place it shall come to pass in the place where it was said to them, You are not my people, there they shall be called sons of the living God. Isaiah also cries out concerning Israel, though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, a remnant, the remnant will be saved. So the thought becomes a major this thought of the remnant, this biblical, scriptural, in-content and context thought is a major prophetic theme. Israel was so rebellious that God threatened to annihilate her, but he relented. And he declared that he would preserve his people by saving a remnant of them from destruction. And from that remnant, from that leftover pieces, he would rebuild his people. Well, that is an act of his grace alone. Total grace, because Israel didn't deserve it. They were disobedient as a nation. There's always a future for the people of God. There's always a future for you to return once you repent. I'm about to read a scripture to you out of Romans, Romans 11, and others, I think 9, 10, and 11, deal with the fact and, and refutes the argument that Israel has been replaced by the church. It's called replacement theology. 
And there's nothing further from the truth than that. Romans 11, starting verse 1. I say then, has God cast away his people? Certainly not. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. Or do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel, saying, Lord, they've killed your prophets and torn down your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life? And what does the divine response say to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Even so, then, at this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. He has not forsaken Israel. The church has not replaced Israel. We've been grafted into the vine by grace. That vine still exists. I will call them my people who were not my people and her her beloved who was not beloved. The remnant will be saved. These are the Messianic believers today and those Messianic believers that accept him during the tribulation for which they will probably die. The remnant that's what we're talking about, the remnant, or a covenant people who have overcome adversity, persecution, and tribulation. Now, having said all that, laid it all out, explained it biblically and scripturally, it doesn't sound so glamorous now, does it? No, it sounds like we're going to have to fight our way through this. We're going to have to pray our way through this. We may suffer, but we're going to be okay. We're going to be there when it's done. And many of these passages I've shared with you are messianic passages. They point to the future king, the Messiah, who would be the majestic ruler of all those who seek his mercies. That's our hope. That's our blessed hope. King of kings, Lord of lords, he's coming back. He's going to judge the living and the dead, and he's going to make all things right. And for a thousand years, we're going to rule on this earth in peace and tranquility, and then the end will come. And we're going to rule and reign with him. That doesn't get you excited. Something's wrong. This eschatological thrust is that the future generations are the remnant. I don't know how long the Lord is going to tarry. Hopefully not too long because it's all pretty bad. And I know it's going to get worse, but however long it is, he will have a remnant, a new people, a new community, a new nation, strong faith in one God. Whew. Praise the Lord. So in the future, a new people, a new community, a new nation, strength, how? How's that going to happen? Well, we need to go back. We need to go back to the day of Pentecost. Beside the birth of the church, 
That was the beginning of the gleaning of the remnant. That was the beginning of the beginning of the calling out, which is what the church is, the called out ones. This was Pentecost was the beginning of everything for this final move of God. Now, having said that, and hopefully you understand it, listen to what happened on the day of Pentecost with a remnant mindset. Because, you know, I thought about it. I, I started multiple Bible studies over the last couple of weeks and didn't use them, didn't know what the Lord was going to do. I started one today and then realized, no, this isn't it either. What do you want me to do, Lord? And then he laid it all out. Everything I'd been working on for the last couple of weeks and today all is coming together for what I think will be a series of this remnant mindset that we must obtain, that we must grasp. So let's go back to the beginning of the church. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Ruach HaKadosh, the Holy Spirit, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. Remember, if you're going to call people out, then you have to have a complete representation of the nations of the world. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. And then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? How is it that we hear them each in our own language in which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Persia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya and the uh, Libya adjoining Cyrene, from which Simon of Cyrene came that helped Yeshua carry the cross. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. And so they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? Others mocked them and said, they're full of new wine. But Peter, remember the Peter we talked about having to go through what he went through to get to this moment? Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heavens above 
in the heaven above and the signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And here it is, it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be a remnant. The prophetic clock began to tick. The church was given an assignment to go make disciples of all nations. It was given the power to do it. It was given all authority in heaven and earth to do it. And immediately, problems arose within the church. Even the, they were going to keep it to themselves. They were not going to share it with the Gentiles, not the Romans. Not No, no, no. It was just for them. It was never just for them. We see that during the Jerusalem Council when the they're arguing about what they're going to do with these Gentile believers, and we're going to make them adhere to this rule and to that rule. And at one point, Acts 15, starting verse 14, Simon declared how God at the first visited the Gentiles to take out of them, what is that, a remnant, a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophet agree, just as it is written. After this I will return. I will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will set it up, so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who does all these things. A remnant, starting on the day of Pentecost, was being called out, from among the nations to join him in his kingdom. That was the church's assignment, to help him with that job. Didn't he say in Matthew twenty four fourteen, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. It was all about fixing what was broken. Whether it was the curse of sin and death from the garden, which was erased on the cross, or the restoration of the nations who had gotten spread out because of the influence of the enemy in their lives and what they were planning to do and how the enemy was using them to rebel to become the nations of our Lord. But even in his preaching and his teaching, Yeshua, Adonai, talked about the nations. Matthew 25, starting verse 31. And when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him. And he will separate them one from another, as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you 
from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you a thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? Or, or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch you did it to one of the least of these my brethren, you did it to me. And then he will say to the, those on his left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not take me in, naked, and you did not clothe me, sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. And then they, they being the goats, those on his left hand, will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick and in prison and did not minister to you? And then he will answer them, saying, Assuredly, I say to you, and as much as you did not do it, to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. It was intended for the church to participate in the Lord's effort to restore the Father to the fatherless, and to make them one family, that remnant. The Lord, in his example here, set for us something we were supposed to follow. You see, the, the fatherless, the orphans and the widows, they were the ones who were hungry and naked and homeless. See, if you're going to be a part of the remnant, you have a calling. You have a calling to understand who he is as Father, as Abba. Deuteronomy 10.18, he administers justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the stranger, giving him food and clothing. Those who believe in him would no longer be orphans without a father. See, I was physically without a father. I mean, my mother remarried, and I have a man whose name I carry that took the place and acted as a father, but there was an emptiness there. There was a hole. There was a deep-seated wound that only my heavenly father could fill. As his church, as the remnant, we need to wake up to our responsibility. Lamentations 5, starting verse 1. Remember, O Lord, what has come upon us. 
Whew. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> Remember, O oh Lord, what has come upon us. Look, behold our reproach. Our inheritance has been turned over to aliens and our houses to foreigners. We have become orphans and waifs. Our mothers are like widows. See, the Holman Bible Dictionary says that in the Old Testament image of the orphan without a helper perhaps forms the background for Yeshua's promise to his disciples that he would not leave them as orphans. John fourteen sixteen through 18. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you a helper, that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Do you see the importance of the infilling of the Holy Spirit? And I will ask the Father, I will ask Abba, and he will give you another helper, a comforter, an advocate, an intercessor, a counselor, strengthener, stand by to be with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive and take to its heart because it does not see him nor know him, but you know him because he, the Holy Spirit, remains with you continually and will be in you. The gifts cannot go away because the spirit has never gone away. He is with us because he is in us. They would not be defenseless. They would not be victimized any longer because the Holy Spirit would act as their advocate. Fatherlessness, something I'll talk about more next week, has been around for a very long time. It's an epidemic probably for the last 60 years in America. It is a demonic attack on his children, onto the family structure, and onto everything he designed us to be. And we, the remnant, were separated to him to do something about that. See, if you don't live up to your responsibilities as a believer, to tell others about him, then you are participating in the problem. Romans chapter 8, starting verse 14, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons, the children of God, sons and daughters of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Messiah, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. You have not received a spirit of slavery leading again to the fear of God's judgment. But you 
have received the spirit of adoption, the spirit by which we joyfully cry, Abba, Father. In religion, you don't have the right to approach him like that. In religion, you can boldly come to his throne of grace and mercy, saying, Daddy, Papa God. You can't do that. But that wasn't what he wanted. That wasn't why Yeshua died. That's man's way of controlling the situation that you can't find out who you really are in him, that you can't be restored into a right relationship with him, that you live and move and have your being through him because of the close proximity that without fear you can come to him. And if for some reason you have done something wrong and you are unrighteous, you can ask for his forgiveness. And he's right just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So this means every believer, every born-again believer, has all the rights of inheritance and will join Yeshua, the only begotten Son of God, in inheriting the glory of eternal life with God, our Abba Father. But again, that does not mean we can escape the suffering and the persecution that the world dishes out to God's people. We're seeing it all over the globe right now. Church being burned down, pastors being killed, people being arrested just for praying in public carrying a Bible. And we haven't seen anything yet. This is nowhere near what it's going to be life like. And the closer we get to the appearance of the Antichrist, the more the world and society will hate us and shun us and reject us. Now this adoption process has not been finalized yet. Paperwork's in. It's been signed, been sealed. But it'll be finalized when when our Heavenly Father restores all of creation and gives us our resurrected bodies. Oh, what a day that will be. Romans 8.23, not only that, but we also have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, eagerly awaiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. I can tell you, I praise the Lord. I wake up in the morning, my heart beats, got things wrong with it. Supposedly, I not supposedly, I've seen it. I have a right hip that needs to be replaced or fixed, but not going to happen, not right now. Don't have time to lie down. Don't have time to do all that. And plus, I believe you can heal me now that I know what's wrong. But the point is, we have broken bodies. Some of it's our fault. We've done it to ourselves. Some of it's been done to us. But be that as it may, waiting for us in the wings is a perfect body. Holman Bible Dictionary says adoption distinguishes the sonship of believers 
from the sonship of Messiah. You see, Messiah is the only son of God by nature. He was born that way, being a part of the divine trinity. To apply adoption to Messiah is heresy. Believers have no natural right to claim to be God's children except through the fact even though physical birth never has and never will guarantee membership in God's family through the election of grace, Messiah's work on the cross and redemption and the Spirit's work in our life brings adoption and makes us, makes you, makes me a child of God. See, we have the first fruits of the Spirit. Where did that come from? Pentecost. Everything ties back to Pentecost for the church and for these final texts of the clock and the end time move of the Lord and prophecy. If you ignore Pentecost, then you have missed the process and you have missed the point. But until that time comes... We're in the process of being conformed to the image of the Son with the help of the Holy Spirit and the assurance of glorification. Are are you getting this? If not, download this. Re-listen to it. Take notes because I believe that the reason I'm starting on this journey for however long the Lord takes it, we're on the verge of the real remnant rising up, being called into action, being supernaturally empowered, supernaturally financed to go and do what we were designed to do, to set the captives free, to cast out demons, to lay hands on the sick and recover, to bring the signs of the Messiah into the world, into out in the public, without greed, without avarice, without people building their own kingdoms, without people making a name for themselves, but raising up his name to be glorified. And I'm challenging you to take this seriously. Galatians 4, starting verse 3, even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Cry it out right now. Abba, Father. Abba, Father. Therefore, you're no longer a slave. But a child of God, and if a child of God, then the heir of God through Messiah. You really are his children. And he has sent his spirit to dwell in you, to dwell in your hearts, so that you can say, Abba, Father. If you don't spend time with him, if you don't seek this relationship, if you don't desire it, first of all, we need to talk about that. So many desire just to sit in a pew, tell me what I need to hear, and let me get out of here in time for the buffet special. But the remnant, that's, that's not the remnant. The remnant wants all that is there for them. 
The remnant wants to know him as Abba, wants to get closer to him, wants the throne room experience, wants the the power and and the word and the things to set the captives free, not for their own glory, but for him. Once I know I've shared this, but once I understood Abba, everything fell into place. Once I called him Abba, once I felt the love that comes with the word Abba, the gifts manifested, began to flow through me. It was the trigger of my prayer language. And it's not a magic word. It's not abracadabra. That's not what this is. Don't, Don't misunderstand me or misquote me. Abba is simply an Aramaic word used by young children when addressing their fathers. But it was not used by the Jews. Oh, no, no. Because it implies a familiarity which you don't deserve. Yeah, well, sit down, be quiet. I don't care what you think, Orthodox religious people. That's my dad. It expresses warm affection and filial family confidence. And truthfully, there's no perfect equivalent in our language. Yeshua's use of the word emphasized his father-son relationship with God. See, this is what makes the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6 so important. He wasn't just teaching us how to pray. He was teaching us how he prayed, the manner, the topics. He was teaching us how to come into the presence of God. Not to make this a ritual or a form or a formality, that once you get past this and you're in that intimate relationship, I still say this prayer, I'm going to say it, read it to you right now, but I don't need this to take me there. But if you don't have it yet, this is the place to start. The disciples had asked him in Matthew 6, teach us how to pray. Starting verse 7, And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think they'll be heard for their many words. Therefore do not be like them. For your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. In this manner, therefore, pray. Abba. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. According to the Lexham Bible Dictionary, in contrast to Jewish literature of the period, the Gospels refer to God as Father some 170 times. (laughs) With 31 references alone unique to Matthew and 100 references in John. Do you think it was an important topic? I don't know. Maybe. Our Father. 
That's what he taught the disciples. That's how they should address God in this manner. But he's got very different attributes as father. He's the father of mercies, 2 Corinthians 1, 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus, the Messiah, the Father of mercies, and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. He gave you comfort, dish it out. You're going through what you're going through to be able to minister to somebody else who's going to go through that and not have the answers, but you will. And they will be experiential answers. You'll have comfort that you can offer them, that there's hope. He's the father of lights in James 1, starting verse 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Gee, first fruits, Pentecost, there it is again. He's the father of glory. Ephesians 1, starting verse 15. Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, Adonai Yeshua, and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. The, the God of Adonai Yeshua HaMashiach, our Lord Jesus the Messiah, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Messiah when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The church is his body. It's not a building. That's who we are. That's what we're called to do. You know, in in uh, Psalms 89, we got a foreshadowing from the Lord that David was being adopted as his son. That was a, uh, an example for us. And he made him commander over the nations with divine support forever, a foreshadowing of Messiah. Psalm 89, verse 26 and 27. He shall cry to me, you are my father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. And I will make him my firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. 
the roots of everything we believe, everything we stand for, everything we should be teaching, everything we should be understanding, the roots of what we believe are Jewish. But there's neither Jew nor Gentile, which means we have a problem with the Hebrew Roots Movement. Because the Hebrew Roots Movement can only grow a Hebrew tree. It can't grow a tree or a vine that is combined together. Galatians 3.28, he says, There's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female. We're all one in Messiah Yeshua. So there was never supposed to be a Christian church. It was always intended to be a messianic church in fulfillment of prophecy. See, he didn't come to start a new religion. He came to fulfill an old one. We were never supposed to be an entirely new creation as an institution. We were supposed to take what he had already established to perfection. See, that's why Jews who become believers, like if you go to YouTube, go for go to One for Israel, and there's plenty of videos, men and women from every spectrum of life that have found Messiah. This is why Jews do not become Christians. They become completed Jews. They are complete in Messiah. And we'll talk next week about how that happened, how the church splintered off, where the whole Christian thing came from. When people ask me, If I'm a Christian, I say I am a believer. I believe in Jesus of Nazareth, Yeshua as Messiah. Well, that makes you a Christian. No, if anything else, that in the Jewish blood in me makes me a Messianic believer. I don't like the term Christian. I'm going to be honest with you. That might offend you. I'm sorry if it does. Because I know where it came from. I know what it means. And I know that the early church after Antioch, after the believers in Antioch went out and they were called that eventually by the Romans. It was a derogatory term, by the way. Um, They just took it on. Maybe as a badge of honor, I don't know. But I'm a believer in Jesus of Nazareth, in Yeshua, the only begotten Son of God, who was born of the Virgin, died on a cross for my sins, rose from the dead, and now sits at the right hand of the Father. And I will see him again. And I will spend eternity with him and every other person who believes that. Because I have a remnant mindset. I understand why I'm here. I understand what I'm called to do. And my goal is to get you to understand who you are in him. It's going to be rough. There's going to be attacks every now and then. We're going to get bloodied. But we're going to get up, get dusted off, get healed, and keep going. We're going to keep moving forward. We're blazing the path. We're preparing the way for the king because he is coming. The king is coming. Father, Abba, we praise you, Abba. You are wonderful, you are glorious, you are mighty. You are everything. 
and you've given us your only begotten Son, our Lord and Savior, our Master, our Teacher, our Brother, our Friend, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the one to whom all creation must bend their knee to your glory and proclaim that he is Lord. Father, I ask you to touch your children. I ask you to reach into their hearts and heal their wounds, many of whom listen to this Bible study, listen to the porch, have been wounded by their fathers who did not know how to be a father. And the enemy has taken advantage of those wounds as he did with me. And I pray right now, ooh, I can feel it, I pray right now that the heat of the Holy Spirit, that, that hot oil from the throne room itself would begin to wash away those wounds and heal their hearts, their minds, their bodies, their souls, their spirits, that every word spoken over them, curses, whether intentional or not, would be broken and wiped away, and that they could have the freedom to run towards you to run into your arms without fear of reprisal or rejection and become fully your children, that they can tell others how that feels. They can lead others to Yeshua so that they can be restored into your family. Let them hear your voice. Let them feel your presence. Shine down your glory upon them right now. Oh, please. We need it. We need you for the days ahead. We need you now. Comfort us. Correct us where we need to be corrected. And let us go. Let's do what you, what you need for us to do. And I pray all these things. And if you agree with me, if you have listened and prayed in agreement, say amen. I'm going to pick this up next time. We're going to talk about what happened. If we were always intended to be a Messianic church, what happened? May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you, be gracious to you. May the Lord, may Adonai, Yeshua HaMashiach, lift up his countenance upon you, and give you peace, give you shalom. I'm Richard Grund. This has been The Porch on Firefall Talk Radio.